Good morning. It is really good to be back with you all. My family has either been sick or traveling for three weeks as we just near the end of our season here at Emmanuel. It is a great joy to stand before you to open your word. But it's even just a great joy to stand over there in the corner and sing with you another time. Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in the second part of our series today. Our text will be Jonah 1.17 through chapter 2. Just as a refresher to get your minds on the story of Jonah, last month we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him to go call out to Nineveh. But instead of turning right to Nineveh, Jonah turns left to go everywhere but there. He is the rebellious prophet. That's why we know him like that. And so the Lord responds to this as he boards a boat to sail across the ocean, uh, really across the sea to the other side of the world. The Lord hurls a storm, and eventually Jonah is thrown into the sea. And as in the sea, one of the most remarkable or remembering things about Jonah's story is that he is swallowed by a fish. And today, we hear in our text from Jonah as he sits in the belly of that fish. This text has been called, and I'm going to call today, a psalm of Jonah. It's his prayer. It is his song to the Lord as he recounts the troubles he faced as he sank beneath the waves, his cry for help, and the Lord's grace to deliver him. So let's turn our Attention to the text and read. This is the word of the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep and to the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Let's pray. Father, even as we just sang, even as Ryan just prayed, would you speak to us in your word? Would you plant it deep in our hearts? Would you guard my mouth and even help me in the midst of my weaknesses, in the midst of my inability to speak clearly sometimes? Would you make your word clear? Amen. So there's this video on YouTube 
Uh, yeah, great. It's of this little girl. She's probably about seven or eight. And in seven or eight minutes, she tells the story of Jonah. And she's really cute. She has a little lisp. Uh, key, key point of it is she goes, and Jonah goes down, down, down into the she. It's really cute. Uh, and as she gets to this part of the story, this is how she describes it. She says, Jonah prayed to the Lord for three whole nights and three whole days saying, I'm sorry I tried to hide from you. Please let me out of this terrible prison. And as cute as she is, she gets Jonah chapter two very wrong. (laughs) Really cute, you should watch it. Don't listen to her theology. She's wrong (laughs) on this point. Contrary to her understanding, and maybe even contrary to your understanding or remembrance of Jonah's story, the fish is not part of Jonah's judgment. The fish is Jonah's salvation. And we see this in our text. Jonah, in the belly of the fish, says this, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, and he answered me. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. Jonah has already been rescued by the time he's singing and composing this as he sits in the dark belly of a fish. That's important to understand, and it leads me to my first point, the loving discipline of the Lord. Jonah was a rebel against God's command. He sought to flee from the Lord's presence. Jonah sinned. But God doesn't destroy Jonah. He could have struck him dead, really as soon as he turned left and went down to Joppa. He could have taken his word to another prophet. But that isn't how the Lord works, especially with his people. The Lord has been disciplining Jonah throughout the story, and our story has made it pretty clear. Jonah gets on a boat, it says, the Lord hurled a great storm upon the sea. Jonah still is silent, still set on rebelling, not wanting to turn back, and the Lord leads him to be cast into the sea. Everyone knew this. The sailors in chapter 114, right before they throw Jonah overboard, go, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They know God wants Jonah thrown overboard. And Jonah, in this psalm, over here in verse 3, he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. The floods surround me. All your waves, all your billows passed over me. And do you know what the Lord's discipline led to? It led Jonah to finally turn back to the Lord. Jonah's story is an illustration to us of what the Bible teaches about the discipline of the Lord in your life, believer. The most well-known text is Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. It reads, my son, this is quoting Proverbs 3, by the way. It goes, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
If you were left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate sons and Ill, illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them. But he, the heavenly father, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Jonah receives the discipline of the Lord because he is loved by the Lord. He is part of Israel, God's chosen people, who God says, you are my treasured possession. He wants Jonah to obey He wants him to walk rightly in his sight. Discipline is meant to bring Jonah back to this. And he isn't just an egotistical maniac out to order Jonah's life. He is like a father, like Hebrews says. Let's look at an example of a father. Has anyone either had a child or seen a child who's really, really tired and just needs a nap? I got three boys. I haven't experienced this with a girl yet, but the three boys, 100%. And then you say, hey, it's time for a nap. And what do they say? I don't want to sleep. You know what's good for them, but they sure don't. And so what does a good father or a good mother do? They introduce this child to the rod of correction. It could be a hand, a spoon, a ruler, whatever it is in your household, a rod of correction corrects them. And do you know what that often does? Kind of shocks them out of that utter rebellion and goes, yeah, I'm pretty tired. You can tuck me in now. <laughs> Pass me Pooh Bear, I'm ready. <laughs> this is how the Lord is treating Jonah. Except unlike us, As a father, I have to wrestle with whether or not I'm making a reasonable request, whether or not I'm exasperating my child, or if I'm disciplining in anger. He never has to. The discipline from the Lord is a grace. It actually marks whose Jonah is. It's a good thing for him. And guess what? It's not pleasant. You don't remember fondly being spanked. And guess what? Jonah's not swimming with the dolphins or going to whale watching. He's under the sea, drowning. That's kind of funny, but it's not. He is drowning. But it was under the water, really through that near-death experience, that Jonah begins to think rightly. It is at death's door that Jonah says, I am driven away from your sight he realizes the misery and despair of what he was pursuing all along to flee from the presence of the Lord. This discipline of Jonah from the Lord was always meant to lead him to repentance. It wasn't a, it wasn't a if, it was a when. And we know that because we started our text, the Lord appointed a great fish. He was already in the vicinity waiting for Jonah to repent. And this surprises how the Lord deals with you too. He disciplines you for your good. And we see discipline in two ways. Jonah is an example of corrective discipline. The Lord will discipline you often when you sin. 
That is Jonah's example. Do you know what that discipline is not? That discipline is not your condemnation. You're not losing your salvation. Your punishment, really, your punishment was already borne by Christ. Anything else you receive from the Lord is your discipline meant to bring you back to him. It's meant to lead you to repentance and restoration, not only with God, but often to your brothers and sisters, your spouse, your children, and your neighbors around you. It's a good gift. And do you know, actually I have a question, not do you know, what does that discipline look like in your life? It could be your health. Psalm 32.3 says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He can strike you with illness. Sometimes it's found in the consequences of your sin. The way in which you respond to your boss, sloth, theft, even immoral things you can do at the workplace might cause you to lose your job. That's the discipline of the Lord. But most commonly, what I think you'll experience the most is going to come in the form of a rebuke from your time in the Word, from a sermon, or from a brother or a sister, a wife or a husband who says, you sinned against me. You have wounded me. And guess what? That hurts. Has everyone ever been rebuked? Did you feel real good? I need more hands up. Has anyone ever been rebuked? If not, live more in the community. You're going to grow from it. Did it hurt? Yeah. It doesn't feel good to learn that you failed. And that's actually, I mean, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. It wounds. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know what? We should probably wound each other a bit more. We should speak rebukes to one another and really embrace our role in the discipline of the Lord of this body. But not all of the Lord's discipline is corrective. Not every time you're undergoing a trial do you need to discern whether or not you've sinned or not. There are righteous people who have suffered. Anyone got an example? Three letters? Job. You got another example? His name's Jesus. Hebrews 5.8. He learned obedience through what he suffered. The Lord will often discipline you through many trials. I feel like the past few months have been nothing but trial for me. But the Lord's teaching me. He's growing me. He's preparing me. Stretching me. I don't like stretching. I, right now, I don't think I can touch my toes. But people who do are quite disciplined. And that pain has led them to do a lot more things than I can do. The discipline of the Lord is painful, but it stretches us. So do you long to be less sinful? Do you long to look more like Christ? Heed the words of Hebrews. Do not despise the discipline of the Lord. And if you find yourself under his corrective discipline, repent. That's what he wants you to do. Be restored. And if you find yourself under his instructive discipline, again, listen to Hebrews. It says, endure. You will bear the fruit that it brings. That's great. You should talk about that more with your friends and family. But we're moving on to the second point. It's a long one. No matter who you are, where you are, or what you've done, he hears you when you call, and he is able to answer. That's the main point. He hears you when you call, 
and he is able to answer. As we continue in the text, we see that the Lord's discipline has its intended effect. Jonah's very physical problem, drowning, not being able to breathe, makes him realize his spiritual problem. Verse four again, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Jonah recognized that this discipline had essentially exiled him from the Lord's presence. Previously in this prayer, uh, Jonah describes his experience as being in the belly of Sheol. And that's this Hebrew word, this term that commonly refers to the domain of death. If we're going to use really an English idiom, idiom, it's called the grave. Jonah is in the grave. Then this term is used to bury symbolically in Psalms. And this is Jonah's psalm. And when it's used this way, it's really representing exile, wilderness, and exilic wilderness, as one uh, author wrote that I read. Now, the concepts of exile and wilderness directly oppose the concepts of the promised land and the temple. Those places are where God is. That's where you can have blessed life with God as a person of Israel. In the wilderness and in exile, that's where you're far away from him. That's where you're dead. And now that Jonah has finally gained a taste of this exile, he realizes it's awful. Jonah is often called the prodigal son of the Old Testament. And you'll remember the story of the prodigal son, how uh, he says, Father, give me your riches. I'm gone. Lives a party lifestyle, loves the world, ends up eating with pigs. And while he's eating with pigs, he realizes this food don't taste good. My father's servants, they eat better than this. At that point, he begins to think about turning back. And he prays. And this is Jonah doing the same thing. And this is what Jonah is really saying in the next part of the verse. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Your first reaction as you read that might be to ask, how is that going to happen? Jonah, you're under the sea. Jonah, I don't think you can swim that far. Jonah, you're about to die. But this phrase is really representing Jonah turning back to God. Like the concept of Sheol used symbolically, the temple is really symbolic uh, in the Old Testament as really where God's presence dwells in the world. Now, if you know an inkling of theology, you know God cannot be contained by one place. So think of it this way. If the heavens are the Lord's throne, he dwells there. The temple was his footstool. That's where his feet were, but that's where he could be close to him. And looking towards the temple was commonly used in the Old Testament in association with prayer. King Solomon, as he was praying at the temple, really combines these two together often. In 1 Kings 8, uh, here are some verses. Solomon's praying, he goes, And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place. Whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hand toward this home. So when Jonah's saying, I am looking to your temple, he's saying, I'm praying. I'm reaching out to your presence, oh God. 
And in the verses that follow, Jonah essentially is telling us his plight all over again, but he kind of turns up the volume. It gets a bit louder. This verse is like the better verse of the song. He's saying, I am, he's not just drowning. He's at the bottom of the sea and his head's caught up with seaweed. He's tangled. He can't get out. The gates of hell are like, or she all are closing over his head. And these are gates that don't open again. If this were a movie scene, you can imagine this being very dramatic. The camera is from like Jonah's eyeballs and he's blinking slowly and everything's going dark. The image is getting hazy, the music is swelling, and then all of a sudden, darkness. But would you expect to be death? There's a fish. He just got swallowed up. The end of verse six and seven contained the utter joy and confidence and elation that Jonah must have felt when he realized the Lord answered this desperate cry of help. He goes, yet you brought my life up out of this pit. Oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Isn't this amazing? God hears and answers Jonah's prayer. Even though he is rebellious prophet, deserving judgment and death, even at the bottom of the sea in exile from God's presence. But Jonah isn't a special case. The Lord just doesn't hear him because he's a prophet or that he has a certain plan for him in Nineveh. There's nothing extraordinary about Jonah or his words. Really, the only thing that stands out about Jonah's prayer is that how long it took him to get here. Remember back in Jonah 1.6, the captain says, wake up, pray, and he doesn't. But the Lord was ready to calm the sea then if Jonah would have left, would have cried out to him and prayed as the captain suggested. It wasn't that God wasn't ready to answer. It was that Jonah was not praying. And this is true in your life and in mine. Again, Jonah isn't a special case. If God is willing to hear Jonah's prayer and answer him, what makes you think he's not going to answer yours? It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Jonah is our great example. He done messed up. The Lord heard him. You can mess up too. We all deserve the watery grave, but that's really the beauty. It doesn't matter who we are, it matters who we cry out to. Daniel 9.18 says this, we do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. It doesn't matter where you are. Jonah is a prime example. The Psalm says it, if I'm in Sheol, you are there. If I'm in the heavens, you are there. He hears you wherever you might be. And you might be in a car, in your bed, wrestling with all the anxieties and cares of this world, in a hospital with someone dying right in the other room, or in the midst of a crowded room just like this, in anguish in your soul. He can hear you there. Doesn't even matter what it is. Jonah makes a pretty big request. Bottom of the sea, submarines don't exist. Save me. That's pretty big. You can make the same ones. Is it cancer? We've cried out here as a body and seen it healed. Is it infertility? The Bible has made great strides in showing that he is the Lord of the womb. And again, we've seen in our own midst, the Lord answer these prayers. 
Is it that your husband, your wife, your son, your father, your friend, your coworker needs to be saved and turned from the sin that's destroying them? Well, some of you are the fruit of prayers that we've prayed. It might even be the dear ones that we've rightly disciplined. I'm thinking of children that we've seen grow up here and then leave. I think of spouses who have abandoned the faith and their own children and families. We can pray that the Lord might save them and he can hear and he's more than able to answer that. And if he can accomplish giant things in your life, why won't you take the little things too? Lord, help me from responding in anger to my children. They're driving me crazy today. To speak well of the boss at work instead of gossiping or slandering him to your coworkers. To get the job you applied for that you would really like. To help with the presentation at school that you're nervous about. You can take all things to the Lord, your God, in prayer. And like with Jonah, the Lord is often ready and able to deliver us or to answer all that we ask of him. Really, the New Testament tells us you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. The Bible doesn't just tell us this fact. It's actually full of invitations, even commands to pray. And they're often accompanied by sweet promises. 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Luke 11, 9 through 13, and I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, it will be opened. Classic, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, take it to God. And then what is the promise there? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Learn, see Jonah's example of prayer and do it yourselves, beloved. Do what Hebrews, or let's do this together. This isn't a solo thing. Let's do this together. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us approach confidently the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace in the form of timely help. Let's tell each other Let's pray for one another regularly. Moving on to my third point. The Lord's resurrection power and our response. Jonah's psalm and the details of this text surrounding it present Jonah as one who is good as dead. The psalm has leaned really heavily on language of death and exile, but we don't even need to understand that to see this. You don't live underwater, you got minutes. By the time we've gotten to hear in my sermon from what an average person can hold their breath, Jonah Dunn died four times. Oh yeah, but he was swallowed by a fish. Well, that kind of defies our sensibilities. I don't know much about the, uh, the air in a fish's belly, but it doesn't sound like it can sustain you for three days. Even if it could, there's not water in the fish's belly, there's not food, and I don't really wanna even think about what like the intestinal tract of a fish does to a person's well-being and health. But this is our Father's world. 
These are his creatures, and he certainly has a prerogative and a power to work in ways that defy our sensibilities. And he has so many times already in the story, he's going to keep doing it. For three days, Jonah is sustained beyond all reason. But that makes us think he was as good as dead. There was nothing that he could have done to save himself. He was utterly at the mercy of the Lord. And at the end, the last really verse in our text, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah is returned to the land of the living, and we should see that as Jonah's resurrection. He was as good as dead, was sustained beyond all reason, and given new life to walk in obedience. This is why Jesus in the Gospels, especially Matthew and Luke, speaks of giving the sign of Jonah to the scribes and the Pharisees. They're like, give us a sign, you're from heaven. He's pretty much like, demons weren't enough. Healing wasn't enough. Here's the only sign you'll get, the sign of Jonah. And he was referring to the time where he wasn't just going to be as if dead. He was going to die. Not just crucified, but at the end of that, they stuck him through with a spear just to make sure he was dead. They were going to bury him. I tried really hard to say that right. Uh, But in three days, he rose again. He's looking at Jonah and saying, one greater than Jonah is here. I'm going to die and be given new life based on the merit of my own righteousness. Jonah didn't deserve life. He deserved death. And Jesus looks back at this imagery and really calls on it. So we should see the resurrection power here. And if you have repented of your sins, you have put your faith in the person and work of Christ, you've experienced this resurrection power. My favorite passage that describes this is Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I think Jonah and the fish is anticipating his return. I don't think you give thanksgiving for being in a fish's belly unless you see I'm not drowning, I'm going to live again on dry land one day. And Jonah responds, I think, as Romans 6 says, uh, that we too might walk in newness of life. I think Jonah starts thinking about walking in newness of life as he's in the fish. We see that in really the last part of his psalm. If you look at verse 8, Jonah in the psalm is saying, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And when we hear the word idols, especially in the Old Testament, our minds often think of the little figurines or the Asherah poles or the, all the figures that pagans worship. But I don't think that this is the idea that Jonah is getting at here. We, we've seen pagans praying to other gods in the story of Jonah, but Jonah in his psalm has not been talking about other people. He's been talking about himself. So what are the idols in Jonah's life? I think that it's the very thought and ideas that Jonah put his confidence in. Namely, the fact that he's like, I am not going to go to Nineveh. I am going to live a good life far away from God and disobey these things. His idol was his own plans. His idol was his own desire for his life. And he understands that pursuing that was forsaking life with God. 
And now that he identifies that, he contrasts this with really his vows and his sacrifices. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I will vow what I have paid. And if you've experienced the grace of the Lord, if he's brought you up out of the pits, just like Jonah, what do you have to offer? Jonah might have actually been referring to bulls and goats and the blood that he could take to the temple. He could have been talking about the action of, I'm going to actually go to Nineveh. It doesn't disclose what his vows are, but you don't get to sacrifice bulls and goats anymore. Your sacrifice is already done. The blood was sufficient of the lamb. But do you know what you have to offer? Yourself. Romans 12, one through three. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Man, our lives, if we have been experienced this resurrection power, we should do our best to evaluate our lives and see where we can walk according to his statutes and his commands. And then there's our great joy to use our life for that because he is a good and gracious God and we want to return the love we've seen from him. This takes me to my fourth and final point and really, Jonah gives us this point. It's at the end of his prayer. It's very climactic. It's bold. It's a joyous ass- assertion. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the point. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is at least in part a changed man. We're going to see more of Jonah's issues and his heart issues later on in the book. But he's been saved from the brink of death, and he is He's like on a high of grace singing this. I have been saved, amazing grace. Overwhelmed by the reality of the mercy of God. And this statement is really at the center of theology of Jonah and really the center of the theology of the Bible. What's the story of the Bible? That there's a fallen people that the Lord is coming to redeem to be back with himself. It's not going back to Eden. It's actually getting better. We're going to dwell with God. He's not going to walk with us. He's going to be the center of our very existence. There's not a sun anymore. There is light shining from his glory that illuminates the new heaven and the new earth. In Jonah, we really see that it's not only the Israelites, but it's the pagans. It's the wicked Ninevites. All of this is a salvation of the Lord. It's a free gift to all. On the last day, you, believer, when victorious King Jesus returns to call us home, this statement, this cry, salvation is the Lord, it's going to be our song. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After I looked, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If you are found in him, this is your song now. It's your song forevermore. Let it fuel you, as we're not actually singing again today, but let it fuel your heart as we worship, as we pray, as we give thanks to the doxology later. Let it be the thing that fuels you. I have one final word to any here who do not yet believe. Men here in a life change program, children who are blessed by knowing the oracles of God taught in your home, Guests and visitors and friends, someone who's just walked in, hear this. This same song can be yours too. This salvation is a freely offered to all who cry out to him. The second point, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you've done. He hears you when you call and he is able to answer. You can be young, old, rich, poor, tall, or short. It doesn't matter really what you've done. Murder, sexual promiscuity, substance abuse, sexual abuse. Any sin is liable to the judgment of hell. It doesn't matter when you call. I would implore you, today is the day of the Lord's salvation for you. Repent, believe in Jesus. But you can take this message and it's promise that he'll hear you when you call. You can put it in your back pocket and in a week and 10 years from now, when the Lord has finally brought you low, you can call out to him and you will be saved. From the book of Jonah, I really hope that you've seen today that the Lord is out to discipline you for your good. I really want you to lean into that. Don't despise it. I hope you've been encouraged that he can hear and answer anything you need. Let's, as a congregation, implore and encourage one another to do this together. I hope that we've seen that we've experienced resurrection power and we need to order our lives according to the gift that it's been. And I hope that salvation of the Lord is on your lips as you go home, as you go out into the city to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your goodness. I I pray that, Lord, whatever weak words I've given, would you make strong? Would you plant your word deeply in our hearts that it might bear fruit this week, this month, this year, and really cause more people to grow in holiness and love and knowledge of you. Amen.